Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. Before we get into the word today, I'd like to pray for all of the survivors who have lost loved ones in military conflict, those who have gone on protecting while protecting our freedoms. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking on this Memorial Day weekend that you would comfort the ones who have lost dear ones and that you would give them perspective of how their sacrifice is benefiting us all. We thank you for the men and women who have died to preserve the freedoms that we so enjoy. Religious freedom, liberty. This great nation, though it is messed up, still has the mark of your mercy. For that, we are grateful to you in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. Turn with me to the book of Philemon. <clears throat> We're going to continue, continue our study of Philemon. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11. Philemon 8 through 11. Paul is writing... And he says, therefore, I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, who I have begotten in my imprisonment, who was formerly useless to you, but is now useful both to you and to me. Lord, help us as we study. Paul is weaving together a masterpiece of literary double entendre with authority. He's doing all he can to leverage his influence and his relationship with Philemon to see somebody who he loves also, Onesimus, become all he can be in God. Paul's an amazing man. One of the finest people who has ever lived. And he has not yet, well, in, in the first two verses, he does not yet explain the purpose for which he's got this big ask. All he does is say, I could order you to do the right thing. But I choose not to. I choose to let my influence be the biggest weight on your soul rather than my command. And the reason he could order him to do the right thing is that later in the letter he says, remember, um, you owe me your life also, like I birthed you as well. But he doesn't, he doesn't say that in the beginning. He, he re, it, it's a reminder in the end. And so he's setting the authoritative stage in the best way he knows how to make a big ask. Now, for those of you who have not been with us in our previous times, he's about to ask Philemon to release a runaway slave, Onesimus, into his care, meaning Paul's care. And Onesimus, uh, we, we don't know the circumstances of his enslavement, but we do know that he didn't like it, just like you wouldn't. And if I were a slave, I'd try to get to step in two. I'd figure out a way to get free. Considerations would be there for those who remained who were also slaves and what punishment they might bear for my, my uh, freedom and my liberty. Um, 
Remember, masters didn't always take out the wrath upon the evildoer, or excuse me, from their perspective, the wrongdoer. But sometimes they took it out on the rest of the slaves so that it would have some bearing, so that that punishment would have some bearing on their obedience. That the rest of the slaves would say, don't you go no place, we get beat. That happens in athletics all the time. If a player is late for practice, the coach will make the team run. And we're all sitting there thinking, (laughs) coach, we don't think that's fair. But it doesn't matter what's fair in athletics. He's the coach. You're the you're the athlete. Your job is to obey. So you can't get mad at the coach productively. The only way you can get mad is at the player. And now you're saying you will be here tomorrow on time. You will be here tomorrow on time because I'm not running for your butt anymore. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Forgive the crass language, but that is what we say. Used to say I'm no longer an athlete. Some would question whether I ever was <laughs> him. <laughs> Sometimes I don't like you at all. <laughs> Paul is using his influence and he's, he's doing all he possibly can to leverage this moment for Onesimus who, whom he has begotten in his imprisonment. Now Paul is in prison. He's in like house arrest kind of prison not a literal jail cell so he's got an ankle bracelet on and he's able to go some places probably to the market and he's he's now in prison for the better part of two years this imprisonment um, and and he is doing all he can to advance the cause of, of Christ while he is in prison your difficulty should not be a moment for you to, to put the gospel on pause That should be an opportunity for you to say, okay, God, I don't like where I am, but obviously you put me here. You allowed me to be here so that I might minister to people that I normally would not have an opportunity to minister to had I not been here. So open up my eyes to see what you want to do in my difficulty. Paul was always looking for opportunity to advance the cause of Christ, as should we. But the beginning of this passage is interesting because... He says, I could order you, but I'm not going to. And there are three things upon which I I wish to speak to you. One, authority that is deferred by Paul. Appeal which is exercised by Paul. And affirmation which is given by Paul. Authority, appeal, and affirmation. One, he says, I could order you, but I'm not going to. And, And here is a wonderful lesson in how to use our authority. Authority is best used by influence and not command. There are some times when we need to tell people what to do. But when it comes to wanting their growth while we are leading, then it's important for us to figure out how to lead in such a way that we influence them to get ownership in the decision we know needs to be best made. And Paul says, I can tell you what to do because I have authority in your life, but I'm not going to. Now, Philemon was was a leader in the church. We don't know in what capacity, but we do know that there was a church that met in his house, as evidenced by verses 1 and 2. We we do believe that that he was probably more than just a host for that church, that he had some leadership in how the church was directed. We We do know that Paul had influence, 
excuse me, Philemon had influence, Philemon had resources in order to have a church that meets in your house. You probably have to have a pretty big house, meaning you probably had some means in order to accommodate all those people. And if you had slaves, you definitely had resources because only the wealthy of society had slaves. So we know a little bit about Philemon. But, but remember, this letter was not just written to Philemon. Though the interpreters and those who canonized scripture decided to entitle this letter Philemon. The letter was written to Philemon, if you look in verse 1 and verse 2. Philemon, Archippus, who's a fellow worker and soldier in Christ with, with Paul in ministry. To Apphia, who we believe was Philemon's wife. And to the entire church. So there were three people and one group. Those letters that were written to all of those people needed to either be read to those people or the letter read by those people. But the, this letter is so specific to Philemon's need to answer Paul's request that the interpreters of Scripture decided to put his name at the top. Yet, be, even though the balance of the letter is, Philemon, I need you to do this, the letter needed to be read by all those other folk and heard by all those other folk. So now Paul was saying, I want this letter to be read to everybody else that requests you, Philemon, to do something I need you to do. Meaning, you're not going to be accountable to everything I wish you to do with everybody else in the church. Personal request, now made public. And we would say, wait, 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 wait. I thought this was a private conversation. Can't I just make a decision on my own? No, no, no. And this, this comes directly against the siloed kind of Christianity we believe is best for Western culture. That it's just me and Jesus and nobody else needs to know about my stuff. Nobody else needs to be involved in my decision. Just me and Jesus. I don't want to hear what you got to say to your own detriment. Everything about Christianity is community oriented. It's family and it's orientation. Oh, you pray the Lord's Prayer and you forget it's a public prayer. That's not personal. What's the first word in the Lord's Prayer? Pardon me? You ain't an only child. <laughs> Our Father. It's a public congregational prayer, yet we have personalized it. Everything about our Western Christianity is me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. And if we can add on that thing called the church every once in a while to benefit me, okay. If I can add people to my life that will benefit me, all right. Everything about Christianity is intended to be fully accountable to others. Paul was saying, I'm writing this letter to everybody, everybody who meets in your house, to your wife and to the other leader in the church. I'm writing it to them. Make sure they get to read this. And Paul would have accountability because the next time he would come to Colossae where they were, he'd say, hey, Archippus, you read that letter? After you read that letter? What letter? Oh, Philemon, you didn't let them. And then he would begin to preach in the church about the letter probably. We don't like people knowing our stuff because we like it that people think we are a certain way. By the way, people don't think you are the way you think you are. They know you're messed up. So who are you hiding yourself from? 
They know you have issues. I know you smile and you look real pretty and got perfume or cologne on and your hair is done right and you know how to say hallelujah, but they know you got issues. So you're not hiding from nobody. All you're doing is depriving yourself of the benefit of strength and wisdom. Somebody to hold you accountable and lift you up in prayer. Accountability is standard operating procedure in Christianity. Well, but we live like, like we all by ourselves. Just me and Jesus, me and Jesus. My life is so accountable with Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim LaFoon, Pastor Russ Austin. I got so many people that are constantly asking me about my life. It makes it really hard for me to fall. Really hard for me to do wrong. And I intentionally put myself in position whereby I want it that way. I'm the guy searching them out saying, hey, help me with this. Pray with me about this. Man, I got this thought in my head. It ain't right. Help me untie this, this knot in my brain. I don't know how to do this Gordian knot. Would you please give me some wisdom to take this thing out? Oh, and I'm so grateful. And I don't mind them knowing my weaknesses because they are so mature that they already know I have them. They've been in this thing 30 years, all of us, walking with Jesus and in ministry. We all know we walk with a limp. We're not trying to step like we don't. Accountability is there for your benefit. Now, you say, well, if I open up my life to somebody, what are they going to do with the information? Hmm, sure, somebody might blow it. Somebody might take your stuff to the streets. I got that, and that's bad. It happens. But the benefit you receive from doing it properly far outweighs the possible exposure that you would experience as a result of somebody sinning against you. Far outweighs. I have been cared for by others and they have been direct conduits of God's grace to me. And listen to me. Every day of your life you ought to be grateful. Not because I'm a pastor who lives by integrity and tries to live holy but because I have others who won't let me do anything else but. You ought to thank God every day that I'm accountable because it's not all about Brett trying to live right as best he can. It's about Brett trying to live right with folk who ask him about stuff. How's your marriage? How are your kids? How's your money? You giving? You tithing? You offering? Are you reading your Bible on a regular basis? Are you staying in prayer? These are questions they ask me. Have you been with a person of the opposite sex in a way that might be seen as compromising? Y'all, these are things people ask me regularly. If I'm here at the office and I don't have a ride home because something happened with my car, it's in the shop, I don't let a woman take me home. I call a cab because I care about y'all. Now, I also realize, okay, I, I guess I could fall. I'm a human being. I can mess up. But I don't want to be seen with somebody who's not my wife in the same car by anybody in the community and say, oops. I don't want to put a, a, a thing, a, a, a splinter in their brain about my integrity. Because now then they have to jump over that to get to the truth about what I'm saying. And they don't hear me. When they walk in the building, they say, mm, I saw him with somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm, he just like all the rest of them preachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't do that. Y'all, that's how I live. I got a big window on my counseling door. If a woman ever needs some counseling from me, she got to do it in public. People can stick their face in there. Mm, mm. Make sure nothing's going on except talking. Except talking. 
that's how I live accountable. Now I realize I got much more to lose when I fall. So you would expect and hope that I would live this way. But you got a lot to lose if you fall too. Reputation with your friends, your family, integrity and trust with your kids. You got a lot to lose. Live with accountability. Because there's a lot riding on your life. Paul says, I could do this, but I'm not going to. I'm going to appeal to you, and I'm going to allow the other people to help you in the process of making a good decision. This man, Onesimus, needs some assistance from you. He needs a favorable decision from you. And I, Paul the aged, speaking of not only the fact that he has lived a long time, and then, and as such, deserves people's respect. Uh, the, the Israelite culture was one that that had a command in the book. I think Numbers. I can't remember. It says, "When the aged, when an older man, gray hair, walks into the room, you younger men rise." It's a command, not one of the ten, one of the six hundred and two other ones. Command. God thought so much of respect it needed to be given. We don't even think about doing that today aged man comes in aged woman comes in oh have a seat we don't get up don't give respect Paul said I am the aged I'm, I'm asking for the respect that should be given as a result of my endurance here on the planet and I've, I've grown in wisdom I'm not a young apostle anymore I'm working this as best I know how to try to help you understand how important it is to make a great decision here now I need to speak on the issue of slavery just for a minute slavery is abhorrent any way it's cut it's bad but the Bible does not condone slavery it accommodates it and even in the accommodation in the New Testament Paul is a radical in trying to figure out how in the world he can advocate for people's freedom in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, if you are a slave, seek to be free. Now remember, he's speaking to a Roman world. He's not talking to a Jewish culture anymore. In Judaism, you are allowed to have slaves, but not of your own people. If you enslave somebody who was Jewish or Hebrew, you could only do it on the basis of indentured servanthood, which me meant they owed you a debt, and now they couldn't pay it for some reason, and they owed you, they could pay it back now through their service. And at the end of seven years, you had to release them regardless of whether the debt was paid in full. God had rules, but you were able to enslave people from other cultures. Remember, though, the people that, that were from other cultures, generally speaking, were those folk that they conquered through war, meaning the Israelites conquered through war. And they lived next door. So God made an accommodation and said, well, you know, don't kill them. Um, but you can keep them as slaves to keep them alive. If they were a contiguous group separate from Israel, they would rise up in vengeance and try to attack them again. So slavery was accommodated for that purpose because mankind had messed up the planet so much that war was inevitable. And so God had to make accommodation. Do you hear me? Accommodation. This is all that this was. He said, okay, you can enslave them. But when they are slaves, you make sure you teach them the covenant. Bring them in. Let them partake of the Passover. Circumcise their males. They get to be a part of my family. Therefore, they should be a part of yours. Nobody had rules like this in the world regarding slavery. Having said that, I'd still try to get to stepping if I was a slave. Figure out a way to get free. Yes, I would, even if it meant just leaving. Again, 
thinking about all the other folks and what would happen. But, I, you know, it's bad. But that, the slavery that's mentioned in the Bible as practiced by the Israelites was nothing like the slavery that we see in America that happened two, three hundred years ago. Nothing. First thing God said in Timothy, and it's in the Old Testament, you cannot kidnap, kidnap somebody. If you do, you die. So you couldn't just go take somebody. That's all the slavery was in the Western world, is going someplace else, stealing folk and bringing them here. And when they got here, the treatment was horrible, just terrible. Nothing like it. Yet all slavery is messed up. Yet God had to figure out, okay, they're going to do stuff. I got I to gotta help them in doing it. You, you take the idea of polygamy. Not good. Not good. Man and a woman. God didn't make Adam, Eve, Sue, Tara. <laughs> just Adam and Eve. That's it. Just one woman, one man. But men had messed it up so much that now their jobs were not just jobs they could work and be productive. They had to work by the sweat of their brow. So it was hard, really, really hard. Not to mention the fact that men got so angry with one another on a regular basis that they decided to war and fight each other. So the average age of a man until about the early 1900s, meaning the average lifespan, 50, maybe 52. That's average. If you lived to 70, you were amazing. That's why Paul said, the aged, I made it this far. Which meant that Women lived somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 70. Their jobs weren't hard in terms of manual labor. They didn't put themselves in dangerous positions. They couldn't do construction. They didn't dig ditches. They worked in the house. And men went to war. So you had less men for more women. And remember, it wasn't about dating back then. It was about parents putting kids together. So, so fathers seeing daughters would say, gosh, I'll... There aren't enough men in the community. We just had a war and wiped out 100,000. <sighs> better my daughter have half a man than none at all. And it was expected that if you had the resources to be able to, to marry two or three, that that was a service to the community and you spread your money abroad so that the father who had born and raised that daughter could have resources and not have to keep her for the rest of her life without any children unmarried. Now, all of us would say, eh, still, it ain't no good. I got that. I got that. I've just given you the accommodations that God made because man messed everything up. Now we say, well, why didn't God just say no? Oh, you want him to say no when you want him to say no. You don't want him to say no about your morality. No, 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 no. How you sleeping around? Don't say no about that. Don't say no about uh, drugs. Don't say no about selfishness. Don't say no about vengeance and anger and envy. Don't say no about that. Just say no about the stuff I want you to say no about. We're selective about what we want God to condemn. And generally speaking, we select everybody else's sin, not our own. Okay. <laughs> Slavery. Paul is advocating for freedom, which in the Roman society, and he's writing to a Roman world, is treason. In Galatians, he says, there's no Scythian, barbarian, no male, female, no Jew, no Greek, no slave or free. We all are in Christ equal. Do you know how a Roman ear would have heard that? They would have said, who is this man? We got to get him. We don't want our slaves to be as, as equal with the Roman citizens. No, no, no. They'll, up, they'll feel uppity and, and rise and begin to fight against us. We can't. Paul was radical. 
And he, now he's telling Philemon, a Roman, let your slave go. And he was letting the entire church know, and he was changing the culture of the church in Colossae. Anybody who says God says slavery in the Bible is actually approved of, hadn't read their Bible. He was just trying to make accommodation in the old and change it in the new. And he says, I'm not going to order you, but I appeal to you. And, and in his appeal, Paul says this, he was your slave, but now he's my boy. So he's saying the relationship has changed. And now if you want to keep him as, as a slave, you have to enslave my son. Now, Paul's relationship with Philemon was one where Paul went Philemon to Jesus. He says that later in the letter we're going to get to. So Paul is leveraging the entire moment with influence, saying, okay, he's, he's my boy now. I know he was your slave and you owned him, but he's my son. Do you want to do this to my son? Do you want him, do you want him to be enslaved again as my son? You would do this to me? Secondly, the obvious thing that is not mentioned is, Okay, Paul led him to the Lord. Philemon, why didn't you when he was your slave? What about your relationship with, with, with Onesimus served you so well that you were afraid of, of leading him to Jesus and somehow you wouldn't get blessed? So it was all about you? You thought maybe he would now feel free in God? And therefore might feel free from you? What were you afraid of? That you would deprive him of salvation. Now all that's not said, but it's implied. Paul is a master of communication. He's a slave to you, but he's a son to me. And he was longer with Philemon than he was with Paul. What happened here? And speaking of sons, how many, how many inheritors of the kingdom because when the Bible says sons it's not talking of gender talking of position it's speaking of those that inherit things from the father and sons in the Old Testament inherited things from the father the daughters did not they inherited from their future husbands and so the fathers would not give the daughters an inheritance because in that inheritance would go to the sons that they married of another man so the sons were the ones who inherited all the stuff from daddy and when the Bible says we are to be sons of God, it's not talking about gender. It's talking about position. How many sons have you brought to God? How many sons have you birthed in the kingdom? Paul said, I'm not going to let my circumstances deter me from doing my Christian duty. FYI, I am not your hired holy man to win the community. Ooh, I hope Pastor Brett is preaching good today out, out there at Redskin Park or over there in the community because he's going to win people to Jesus and grow this church. I'm training you to do this. I'm teaching you to do it. Jesus, his last words, and last words are really important, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. He didn't say go all the, go all into the world and be good Christians. He said go and preach. Your job is to preach. Your job is to share this gospel. And you say, well, I don't want to be confrontive. You never know what will happen. I can't be pushy with my message. <laughs> it might offend somebody. And so I just kind of live my life in such a way that people will be able to see the light. <laughs> All you will do in doing that without saying anything is confirm in their own mind that 
Nobody needs God because you're good. You're a good person. You don't have God. You're a good person. We don't need God. You got to explain why you're good. Paul said, this is my son. And to Philemon's detriment, his own conviction, Philemon's sitting there reading the letter and said, how did I miss this? I could have, his heart was open to the gospel. I missed that. God help me. And then lastly, we've got authority deferred. We've got appeal exercised. And then lastly, he says, this one who was useless to you, useless. The most difficult slave you had. As a result of being born again, is now useful both to you and to me. It's, it's a play on words here. The word, the name Onesimus means useful. And so Paul is saying, useful was useless. But now useful has become useful. Beautiful imagery and word. Christian, you bear the name, don't you? Are you one? I mean, do you act like it? Onesimus belied his own name because he was useless. Every time Philemon called him, he said, that just ain't true. Useful? You're useless. Useful? Christian? You're none. You act like non-Christian, though you're Christian. You've taken the name, but you've taken it in vain. It's not just about when God says, do not take my name in vain, uttering a curse word that has the syllables that sound like God's name in it. It's about taking his name and not living like it. You have taken his name in vain. God help, Christian! Live like it every day. Live with integrity and honesty. Be the best version of humanity anybody in your sphere of relationships has ever seen. He who was once useless has now become useful both to you and to me. Paul is doing everything he can to try to influence Philemon to do the proper thing. By saying, let me give you, let me give you the background. Let me give you the lay of the land. I believe you can take ownership of this. I'm doing all I can to try to help you make a great decision for now, a brother in the Lord, not just your slave. It's a wonderful lesson in leadership, one from which we can all learn. Parents, when your two-year-olds are no longer two, when they're now 22, how do you lead? When they're 16, how do you lead? Is it by command or is it by influence? Husbands. And by the way, in this church, we believe in leadership in the house. We believe the man ought to be the head. We believe that a lot of men need some education. They don't know how to be the head of their home. They don't know how to lead spiritually. They don't know how to read the Bible. They don't know how to pray with their kids. They don't know how to disciple. They don't know how to be a good husband. They don't know how to be a good father. They don't know anything. I, I was him. I didn't come with a good example in my home. If I told you stuff that I saw in my house and had to stop, you would be surprised that I ever made it here. I should be a stat. So I understand where you live, gentlemen. I just buried myself in the cocoon of the word. 
And this caterpillar came out looking something different. I'm letting you know it can change. Lead men with sacrifice. If you ever have to pull out a scripture that says, woman, submit, you've lost. <laughs> you've lost already. You've lost already. Why? Because now you have shown your stripes and you're leading by command. Paul says, not really the best way to go. Great lesson in leadership. May we all take a cue.